to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 today. If you don't have a Bible, Matt will make sure you get one. If you can just raise your hand, we'll get make sure you get one. Everybody got one? We are in Ephesians chapter 5 today. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Paul has been writing in the this letter to the church in Ephesus. You remember, he has taken the first three chapters, and we've just, again, as for foundation, his first three chapters, what he's doing is that he's setting a foundation for uh, the believers there in Ephesus. He's saying, okay, guys, this is who you used to be. This is who you are now in Christ. This is who you who you were without having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is who you are today because you responded to that free gift that God has offered to you. And this is what you have, you know, this is what God has given to you. Then, So the first three chapters are basically a doctrinal uh, uh, expose on, on who you were, who you are, and the benefit that you have as a believer. And the relationship that you have to God and the guarantee that you have of heaven because of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life, because of what afforded to you by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. It's that, the doctrinal stance right there. But then from verse 1 of chapter 4 all the way through the rest of chapter 6, he will take the last three chapters and he will be telling you and talking to you and exhorting you and me and the church in Ephesus uh, how to live practically. And and what what does it look like if this is what you used to be and now this is who you are today, what should what you are today look like? That's fair, right? What should you and I look like today? You remember Paul opened up chapter 4 by saying, you know, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you or I beseech you, I strongly encourage you. He doesn't say I command you. How can you command somebody to have a, to, to be pure? You can't command somebody to be pure. Hey, be pure. Be pure. You can do it, but you can't make somebody do something. That's why God gave us our own free will. God isn't making anybody get saved. He gave you a free will to whether to see whether or not you would accept his free gift. He's offered it to all mankind. For God so loved the world, not just a select few. I know that there's some sects out there that say that God only sent his son Jesus Christ to only die for the elect. And, and it's... I don't want to get into that argument, but the point is, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God so loved the world, not just the elect, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It does not say, for God so loved the elect or the chosen, so that if any of those elect choose to follow him, they will not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying, no, no, it's for the whole world. It's the whole world. And so God did this for all mankind. He sent his son. He saw that there was no possible way for mankind to enter into heaven apart from him interjecting himself to pay a penalty that is upon you and upon me. He paid it for you. There's no way that we can get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. There is no way. You can't live a good life. You can't buy a, you know, a, a, a number of stained glass windows for churches and God would have to forcefully let you in. You can't force your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't charm your way into heaven. You can't get in because you're just a good guy or a good gal. It's not that. And I know it's a hard thing for some people to understand. 
wait a minute, I've been a good person my whole life. I haven't really put people down. I haven't really done anything really all that bad comparatively to everyone else. I've had that conversation my whole life with different people. One of them was one of my best friends. I've, I've, you know me. You've been around me my life, you know, for a lot of my life. You see how I interact with people. I treat everybody with high respect. And, and this guy, hey, listen, this guy was everywhere I went. I went all over. I went a lot of different places in the United States and down in Mexico with this guy. And it invariably, when we'd get to a place, you could be going down the road, walking down a road from, you know, down in Mexico and you're, you're cruising down the road from your place where you're staying to a store or something like that. And somebody will drive by and go, Hey, and then they'd call out his name. I'll call his name Jim. It's not Jim. Hey, how you doing? And you're going, how do you guys meet? Oh, well, back in 1976. And then he, they tell the story. You know, this guy was a real helpful guy. He was just so selfless. But to witness to the guy, he's going, are you kidding me? God, I won't enter into heaven based upon the things that I've done. You're saying that I've done this my whole life and I, and God would reject me if I don't, if I don't accept his gift. So it has to be done his way. Going, well, yeah. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. I don't care how many good things. You've got a lot of great deeds, great, wonderful deeds, but all of your wonderful deeds do not overcome your one deed of rejecting the gift that God gave to you, of Jesus Christ. And it's a hard thing. But you know what? It's not, it's not my world. It's not my creation. It's not how I organize things. It's how God organized things. And he gives it to us in scripture. And so, is God a narcissist? No, God's not a narcissist. He just knows that you've got to do it this way. There is only one way. How cruel for God to give us eight ways. Right now, you can go to any number of churches and they're going to tell you, thousands of ways but Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me so it's only through Jesus Jesus says I'm the way today we've got Super Bowl coming up imagine going up to Atlanta is that the Mercedes Dome or something like that go up to Atlanta today Uh, take your airline ticket it might have cost you 1500 bucks to jump on an airline to get up there to Atlanta. Take that airline ticket on over to the Mercedes Dome and, and, and say, hey, I paid 1500 bucks for this airline ticket. Hey, I, I want to go watch the Super Bowl. There you go. Hey, that'll get you on American Airlines flight, you know, 2178 and the Airbus A319, but it isn't going to give you any seat in this Superdome or in this Mercedes Dome. You, you, had, you, you got the wrong ticket. Jesus says, God God says, there's one ticket. Jesus says, I am the only ticket to get into heaven. And, and, and to us, we might look at somebody and go, well, you know, a a person going up and offering their airline ticket. Can you imagine if you paid for your Super Bowl ticket and you're standing behind the guy who takes his airline ticket to the ticket agent and goes, well, wait a minute. Uh, I bought this ticket for 1500 bucks. Yes, but it was for an airline, not the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. It costs me a lot. Costs a lot of money. I worked a lot for this ticket. I'm sorry. It's the wrong ticket. Now you behind that person, you'd go, well, now that's just obvious. There's only one ticket that's going to get you into this game and it's a Super Bowl ticket. But somehow we have a hard time understanding that there's not many ways that lead to God. You know, there's people that say all roads lead to heaven. And I would say, do all roads lead to California? No, they don't. They don't. There's one, there's one ticket that gets you to heaven and it's Christ. Paul, he writes that down. He says, now here's the thing. When, when you understand this, your life should be changed. 
When you understand this, when you have accepted this into your life, when you have accepted Christ, something should change. I'm going to give you, he, he says, I want you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He then goes on in, ver- in chapter four and he says, and here's what God's done. He's given you apostles, deci- you know, apostles and, and uh, prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He's given you guys to, to minister to you, to teach you and to grow you up so that you can be equipped and go out and do the work of the ministry, to go out and do the things that God has called you to do, to go out and live this life that you have been afforded because of what God has done for you. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at who you were, who you are today, and this is what it looks like. You have teachers that are going to help you along the way. You've got the Holy Spirit who in chapters one, especially in chapter one, is saying, hey, listen, he is with you. He has sealed you. He is, he is upon you. He is, he is doing this work in you to help you walk along in this Christian life that you have, in this new life that you have in Christ. Used to be there. Today you're here. You have the Holy Spirit. You have others that God sends to help to teach you to take these steps. Now do it. Okay, now as you're doing it, here are some things that you should look like and here are some things that you shouldn't look like. You remember we talked about that last week. You wouldn't expect me, you know, as a future airline pilot to to step in a cockpit with tattered Levi's and, you know, a holy t-shirt. Not holy as in holy, but holy, you know. You wouldn't expect me to get into a cockpit and fly your airplane. You should, you should be who you are. You should, you should, you should dress like you should be like. Now I'm not saying that Christians have to dress a certain way. I'm not, well, put some clothes on. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be real here, okay? You know, I, I was, uh, I was the, the singles pastor over at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, every, uh, I think it was, uh, two Friday, I don't know if it was every Friday. I don't remember if it was every Friday or if it was every other Friday, but we had a we had a uh, an event at the church where I, I taught. We had a band, we had a big barbecue and what have you. There was over eight hundred people, eight eight hundred singles that would come to it on a on a week biweekly basis. We had a a uh, we had a retreat down in Marco Island where we took over a hotel. We had over four hundred singles. You want to talk about the most volatile group in any church? There's hormones racing, man. There are people that, that aren't married that want to be married. And if I'm going to go and try to, if I want to go to a right place to find a husband or a, a wife, what better place than to go to a church? You can't really necessarily completely fault them for that, that line of thinking, but as a pastor, it's a tough thing. As a pastor, you, you've got to kind of lay down some, some ideas and, okay, hey guys, we're, we are as Christians going here and, and one of the things that we're going to do is, is we don't want to make anybody stumble. We're going to be on the beach. You're going to have bathing suits on. Be careful of the bathing suits that you wear. Gals, you know, no skimpy two pieces, okay? Guys, no speedos. Please. No speedos, you know, and and let's just let's let's not draw attention to things that we shouldn't be drawing attention to. And we had one gal that said, "I got to do that." And goes out and wears this incredibly skimpy bikini. And now, Pastor Don and Lynette, his wife, had to go and talk to her, and she was offended. But later on, in the, I mean, that was the like the first day. The very last day she came up, she was just weeping. And God had touched her heart, man, so big. She did do what we asked her to do. She went and put on a one piece. What another guy that came out in a, I'm sorry, don't want to put it in your head, but a neon yellow, six sizes too small Speedo. I walked with a towel over to him. I said, hey, bud, how you doing? And I put a towel around him. I said, hey, we got to go this way. Let's talk. Let's talk. What? What? And and he was pressing the envelope. But, but the, the idea is that's probably not what we want to do, right? So is that limiting? Is that being limiting to somebody? Well, the Bible says, hey, be above reproach. Don't cause another one to stumble. Why would you want to do that? 
Paul says, listen, I can eat meat, but if me eating meat causes someone to stumble, I'm perfectly fine not ever eating meat again because you know what? Life is much bigger than my appetite. Life is much bigger than what I'm trying to present to people and you know, putting out the, hey, I'm available card. And so, so am I saying you got a, a certain kind of a dress? Well, I would say, you know, I, I think that you need to dress fairly in, in such a manner that you don't cause another person to stumble. You know, there's certain things that you shouldn't indulge in. There's certain things that you shouldn't do. And, and, and so I think some of these things are pretty obvious. They're starting to get more skewed and skewed and skewed the more I age, though. Have you kind of noticed that over about the last 10 years? It seems like things are digressing so quickly right now. That 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was no question on something that is wrong. But today, eh, it's a foggy line. And we start to use terms like my truth and your truth. There is no my truth and your truth. There is the truth, but there is not your truth and my truth. There's truth. You remember it was it was Pilate that asked the question. What is truth? Sorry, John. I don't think I just had a little spitball go out there. I'm gonna get face guards for these guys out here. It's <laughs> a splash zone. It's embarrassing. You know, just just own it so that you know because you know that that's gonna cause someone to go. Oh, did you just see that spitball? You know, did you see it go out? And they're not going to listen to the next five minutes of what I'm saying. They're going to, I've got to tell my husband next to me. Did you see that? So, so there's a, there's something that we, we should look at, we should look apart. We should talk apart our character, our attitudes, our outlook, our, our life should be different. I, I'm talking basic 101 Christianity. Something should change in our life. You know what repentance means, right? What does repentance mean? Repentance means what? Someone, give me. Turn around. I'm going this direction. Repentance means this is the wrong direction. I'm going to make a 180 and I'm going to go the opposite way. Well, if that's the direction of your walk, and you repent and you turn around, you're going in a different direction. If this is the way of your talk that you used to, then maybe you need to change your direction. But maybe you had a clean mouth and maybe you didn't have problems and what have you with your, with your maybe lying or gossiping or anything like that. But here's the thing. If you did, stop it. That's not becoming of a Christian. That's not what a Christian should look like. And you go, well, well what should we look like? Ah, that's what Paul's going to talk about right here. That's what Paul's going to talk. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be followers of God as dear children. Now, that word follower, if you are an underliner, and I would highly encourage you to write in your Bible. It's, it's not sacrilegious to write in your Bible. It really isn't. In fact, I highly encourage it because as you write little notes in there, when you go back and you look at a passage 10 years down the road and you've underlined and circled, you're going to see something here. I've got it right here. I've got like this word that I'm going to share with you right now. I have it circled and I have a little line up. I put literally with a line and then I have imitator. The Greek word is mimetes, mimetes, where, what does that kind of sound like? Mimic. Mimic. That's exactly right. There's so many words in the Greek that, that give you a clue on what is being spoken of in that word. Mimetes. Mimic. Imitate. Paul says, therefore, mimic God as dear children. I don't have anybody to look at. And you say, God, that's a hard thing to look at because I've never seen God. I, God is, in fact, the Bible says that no man can see God and live. 
And so therefore, how can you ever expect me to ever see God? Well, Jesus was God in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, what we know that, right? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not was a, a God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then we move on up into verse 14 of the same verse, of the same chapter, speaking on the same topic. It says, and the Word, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who can the word be? It's none other than Jesus. So we have now Jesus as someone we can mimic. We have him as human flesh, God in human flesh, living amongst us. Now here's what we do. Let's follow after him. You know, there's there's a... Uh, there's a, a bracelet that was a real big, you know, bracelet and necklace and all of that. Uh, I don't want to go over and spend time over here looking, but remember the the the, the big craze of the WWJD. Yeah, you know? What would Judas do? No, it's no, it wasn't Judas. It was we. Hey, listen, a lot of people live by that. What would Judas do? And they live that way. But here's the thing: what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And you think that some guy, you know, coined that phrase? No, it's a it's a guy by the name of uh, huh? Not Calvin. Who? Yeah, Sheldon. Charles Sheldon. Charles. Charles Sheldon. Charles Sheldon. I got a book over here. It's called In His Steps. He's the one who coined the phrase. Well, I don't know if he coined it, but he's the first one that we can go back and look at and see it was published. He died like in the early in late 1800s or something like that. Somebody capitalized on that and made a lot of money, right? But but the heart was true, or the, the, the message was true. Maybe the heart wasn't true, but the message was true. What would Jesus do? And hopefully it would bring us to a place where we would ask that question, what would Jesus do? And so here we have Paul saying, be an imitator of God. How do we do that? We look at Jesus. Does that make sense? How do we imitate God when we can't see him? Well, look at Jesus. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here's the thing. When Jesus spoke, was he full of grace? Yes, he was. When Jesus lived his life, when he spoke, was he full of truth? He was full of truth. And so here in my life, if I see that in his life, what should my life reflect? If I'm going to be a follower or an imitator or a mimicker of Jesus, my life should be full of grace and should be full of truth. Not full of retribution, not full of, 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 uh, uh, um, retri- retribution, I have another word in my head, but not, not a vengeance. There's the word. Couldn't think of that. I had to kick out a, 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 a flow in my head to get that word back, you know. Um, here's the thing. We we look at life now, not through us, but through Christ. Paul will go on and he'll say this in Galatians. When he writes to the Galatians, he's, he's going to say, the easiest way that I have found out how to do this, you want to know how to live this Christian life? You want to know how to live this life? It's stop thinking about you. Stop thinking about you. It's not about the man in the mirror. It's not about the woman in the mirror. It's not about who you are. It's about Jesus. That's what it is. That's why Paul says, I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so Paul's saying, in order to imitate God, I'm going to imitate Christ. In order to imitate Christ, I have to have less of me and more of him. In fact, I need to have none of me and all of him. Does that make sense? And so he says, this is how I do it. Now, now here's what's really cool. Look at this. You can turn left with me to uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians. You don't have to, but you can jot it down and look it up later. But um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Verse 16, here's what Paul says. Here's exactly what Paul says. 
He's talking to the Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthian believers, the church, those who have a relationship with Christ. And he says, I urge you, mimetes me, imitate me. Exact same word he uses in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 1. Same word. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says this. Just so that he makes it clear that he's not elevating himself above any other person. That he's not elevating himself above God. He's not saying, hey, here's the thing. I am perfect. I have got all of this stuff down. I'm, I'm there, man. You do, you, you follow me because I, Paul, am perfect. That's not what he's saying. He says, imitate me. I urge you, do what I'm doing. And we can kind of, and if you were to go on and continue to read in chapter four, you're going to understand that Paul's not going to say, hey, follow me in my sin. No, he's not going to say, follow me in my sin. He has a drive. He has a heart. He has a purpose. He has a a passion to follow after someone else. Here it is in chapter 11, verse 1. Same book, same letter to the same Corinthian church. He says, let me make this clear. Imitate me. Mimetes me. mimic, Mimic me. Just as I also mimetes Christ. Just as I mimic Christ. And so what Paul's saying is, it's not in me. Don't look at me. I've been crucified. Don't look at Paul the flesh. Look at Paul desiring to live after Christ. And if you look at that part of my life, imitate it. Because here's the thing. I do not count myself. I don't count the the sufferings that I'm going through in life to even be worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in me in the day when I'm face-to-face with Christ. Face-to-face with Christ. I know that in me, oh man, Paul, he talks and we know the struggle, the Romans 7 struggle, don't we? I mean, we've all had it. Maybe you're going through it right now. You're a Christian, you're struggling in your Christian life. You're, you're frustrated. You're, you're kind of getting burnt out because you continue to see yourself fail over and over and over. Well, know this, Paul had the same heart. Paul had the same problem. I've had the same problem. Most Christians that have been any kind of a Christian for any amount of time have had this problem. Paul says, can I just be honest with you? The things, and now he begins to, he just, he lays it out. He begins to give out a personal testimony. He says, the things that I wish to do, that I will to do, that I desire to do, that I know I'm supposed to do, he goes, those are not the things that I do. And the things that I will not to do, the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, the things that I know I shouldn't be pursuing, those are the very things that I find that I practice. And he gets into the place in his life where you can see this this, this inward struggle that Paul has. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. He sees the difference between the flesh and the spirit. He sees the difference between him continuing to stay alive and him dying and allowing the Holy Spirit to take over his life. He says, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He started it all off by saying, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, not in my spirit, I know that in me, that is in my spirit or in my flesh, that nothing good dwells. And I know that that's a hard thing for some of us to do and to to reconcile because we sit there and we go, but there are some good things in me. Come on, don't I have some redeeming qualities about my life? Don't I have some redeeming, uh, uh, you know, characteristics about my life that are good? You might have traces of things that are good and and some have more than others, but the, the fact remains that we're still sinners and we still struggle with sin. 
we still struggle with flesh. And so Paul, he gets to that point. He goes, oh man, I know that in me that, that is in my flesh. And he, he, he parenthesizes that. He, he, he emphasizes that. He says, listen, because if he would have just not put that in there, I know that in me nothing good dwells. That would be a lie because the Holy Spirit is in him, right? The Holy Spirit was in Paul. Paul's going, no, I can't say that the Spirit in me is bad because the Holy Spirit is residing in me. So I can't say that. So I'm going to clarify that I know that in me nothing good dwells. But I'm going to tell you something. The things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I will not to do, those are the very things that I practice. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I am so frustrated and struggling with the flesh. Then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus. Paul understood that. It's through Jesus that you can be set free. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 8. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Who's the Son? It's Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Listen. We've heard the term before, right? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Have you heard that term before? You know where that came from? I don't know that any of us would would care to imitate the man who coined that phrase. He's an English cleric that got kicked out of the church after 16 years. He became a writer, then a gambler, then a, a, a and here's a, a, I just wrote this down because it's a big word and, and I dig on big words that I don't understand, but he was a latrophobic you know what a latrophobic is? Latro is, is a, um, it means healer. Okay? That means healer. Phobic means, <laughs> I am freaked out by those guys. Okay? I'm, I'm afraid of them. I have a phobia against them. So he had a phobia against doctors. We had like, he had like an illness that could have been operated on and be fixed, but he was so afraid that he didn't and he died. Or he didn't die on that sickness. He just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where he goes, I'm going to kill myself. And so he, he actually committed suicide. So here the guy is. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You want to follow that guy? Mimetes. Charles Caleb Colton, who lived from 1780 to 1832. He's attributed with the phrase, imitation is the... Sincerest form of flattery. He, I'm not going to read all this stuff. You understand what, what it is that I just said. He got kicked out of the ministry, became a writer, wrote a bunch of different stuff down. He did, he did write on Napoleon, Nero, Oliver Cromwell, and Samuel Johnson and Caligula. Uh, he moved to Paris, France. He indulged in gambling. He resided in France until his death. He died of recurring illness of which he was too fearful to take any surgery for and he therefore he took his own life quite violently at age 52. It is thought that the fear of the procedure drove him to insanity. Interesting, right? And and so when we look at this term though, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I don't know if you caught what I what I I prayed today. I pray it a lot. And, and my heart is, when I'm praying to God at, at the end of worship, or even before when we're preparing for worship, I'll pray something along the lines of, Lord, I pray that we, we crack an accepting smile upon your face. Why would I do that? I want to be accepted. I am accepted. I already know I'm accepted. I already know that we are accepted. But the fact remains, I want my heart to be in the proper place that says, God, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. I want to do this for you. The idea is to get our our heads and our minds off of self and get our eyes on, on, on Christ. Because here's the thing. When we have our eyes on self, we are in danger. We're in danger. We're in danger. Because... You're going to be influenced. I'm going to be influenced by a lot of different outside factors. Some of my studying this week, we are all imitators, right? Some of us more than others. Physical, emotional, philosophical influence upon our lives will have a direct impact upon 
our various behaviors in life, right? You don't believe it? When you go to a restaurant, okay, when you go to a restaurant with a group, let's say you have eight people, go to a restaurant, maybe you're going to go afterwards. You're there in the restaurant, waitress hands you your menus and everything, and you sit down and you open up the menu and you look. And you see, man, I look at that buffalo chicken sandwich with the fries with some ranch dressing on the side. Not that I would ever order that, but I look at that in the menu and it's there in all of its glory. You know, it never looks like what it's supposed to, but, you know, uh, not when it comes. You know, it's always smaller and, you know, you got to kind of look for the chicken and what have you. But, but on the menu, you look at that and go, oh, I want that. That's what I want. And you're thinking to yourself, oh man, that's going to taste really good. But you happen to be out of the eight people in the group, you happen to be, you know, number four on the order list. But number three, the person sitting next to you looks at the menu and goes, hey, I'm going to have the chicken buffalo, you know, buffalo, you know, chicken sandwich with uh, fries. And why don't you give me some uh, ranch dressing on the side? What do you do? I don't know about you, but I know me. Oh, man, he just ordered my meal. What else do I want? Don't we do that? Have you ever done that? You you order, if somebody orders what you wanted, you go and go, oh, man, he got that. I do it with my wife all the time. Oh, that's what I was going to get. Well, we can both get it. No, we can't. We can't. You sure you want that? You know, why? Why? It doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, let's use another type of scenario. Conversation with a friend. Bill mocks that when anyone passes the lawyer's bar exam, he says to his friend, Bill says to his friend, you know one of the first things that I see all my lawyer friends do? All these lawyers that you see coming out and passing the bar exam, you know the first thing they do is they go out and purchase a BMW in order to identify as having made it as a lawyer. To which his friend says, Bill... Aren't you a lawyer? Yeah. Don't you drive a BMW? Well, yeah, but it's not the same for me because I drive a gray BMW. All of the newbies, they buy dark ones, okay? they black or blue. I've got a gray one. It doesn't apply to me. <laughs> Was he influenced? You know, there's a status that, hey, wait, hey, a, you know, attorney, BMW. I'm not saying it, it's straight across the board, but... Let's look at another thing. Politically. Oh, man. Do you had to touch this, didn't you, Pastor Don? Barrett, be careful. You're going to lose half your congregation. Maybe all of it. Politically, this is happening at an alarming pace right now in our country. You're going to probably find that you will argue talking points with others based upon which party you align yourself with. Is that a pretty fair statement? Today, if you're a Republican, you might find yourself arguing against the development of any dependence upon clean energy because Al Gore says clean energy is good. And you don't, you, yeah, I don't want to be aligned with the Democrats on that. No way. As a Republican, he might say. Whereas if you're a Democrat, you might find yourself ad nauseum where you have it all over everything. You're arguing against building a border wall. Because it's something that the Republicans are pushing for. When in all actuality, both parties at one time sought for what they're now arguing against. Simply, And the, the reason that they're arguing against it is because they don't want to identify with the other group. And so what ends up happening is that all their constituents, us, we are influenced by what the people that are the leaders are saying. So get into exercise. <laughs> when you're jogging by yourself, when you're jogging by yourself on the street, you tend to take, just tell me if this is not true. You tend to take walk breaks a bit more often when you're alone. Right? Personal confession here. Okay, I, I, I am here. However, when you see someone up ahead that maybe be taking their garbage to the curb, you begin running again. 
And you run and you're going, holy cow, okay, there's a bend up there. And I'm thinking, okay, from that house to that bend to where I'm out of sight, I don't know if I can make it, but I'm going to do everything I can do. And you get past the bend and you kind of are, are running. And you kind of look back and go, okay, there, I'm out of sight. And, and you bend over and you about puke. You're just done. Why did you start running again? The influence was, I want to be seen as a runner. I want to be seen as not a slack. I want to be seen as whatever it is. How about parallel parking? You find that when you're alone, you don't have any problems at all? When someone else is in the car, it takes you 17 times to get in that parking spot? The influence of someone else being in the car. Now, I'm, I struggle with that myself. This is a little bit more personal thing, not unnecessarily a parallel parking, but I don't know about you, but does anybody struggle with taking exams? I'm one of those guys. I hate tests. I hate tests. The things that, 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 that frighten me some of the most is taking tests. This Wednesday coming up, I don't like having an examiner, an examiner around. I can fly the airplane. I know what I'm doing. But I've got to have an examiner there. And it's like if anything's going to go wrong, it's going to be when an examiner's there. I hate taking tests. I hate them. Why? Why not just do what you know? We have influence. And sometimes influence, we don't understand where it's coming from. It's why advertising is so important. And we've, we've talked about there, there was an event today. What's it called? Yeah, the Super Bowl. You know, there are three different types of people who watch the Super Bowl every year. The first two types of people are those who love Tom Brady or those who hate Tom Brady. Okay? Because he's in every Super Bowl, it seems. Right? You're either going to like the guy or you hate the guy. And the third type of a person, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you are, is the person who wants to see the new commercials. Right? It's the commercials. It's the commercials. These are the new commercials that are coming out. What happens is that tomorrow, if you turn on any of these new, you know, these good morning news stations that come on, what are they going to be talking about? Commercials. Which was the best commercial? Which was the worst commercial? Advertising has an influence. CBS this year. You guys have probably already seen this, but CBS reportedly is charging $5.25 million for a 30-second ad spot during today's Super Bowl. $5.25 million. Why would a company spend $5.25 million for 30 seconds of your time? Huh? Big audience. What, what's their purpose? Influence. 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 I just want to end here. You and I, influence hits us in two different manners. The first is, who are you influenced by? Or, who do you emulate or imitate? Who do you find yourself looking up to? Hopefully not idolizing, but but looking up to and going, man, I want my life to measure like that. Maybe you have somebody who has is, is kind of set the bar in your life and you go, man, you know, maybe as a woman you look at, a, at another woman and you go, man, it seems like that. That woman has it all together, man. The way she handles it, you know, that she, the way that she interacts with her husband and interacts with her kids and her house and, and just everything that she does. I mean, it just seems like everything... I really wouldn't like that. You know, a guy, you know, hey, here's a guy that's in good shape and so on and so forth. You know, he's this or he's that. And you look at that and you go, hey, this is what he is. And this, look at, look at the guy's walk. The guy's a strong Christian. The guy is bold. He's this. He's funny. He's charismatic. He's a good looking guy and he's got hair. I don't like him. You know, whatever, you know, but no, you look at it and you go, man, you, 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 you look at that, maybe you place a bar out there, and, and that's, that's where you draw whether or not you are doing it right or you're not doing it right. I saw a sad article this 
two days ago, I think it was two days ago, it might have been yesterday, of a woman, I think she was in New York or San Francisco, I don't know, maybe some of you guys have seen that. She was a dietitian or something like that, and she committed suicide. She wrote a long letter out, you know, to her mom. I'm so sorry, Mama. I just, I just, I'm done. There's nothing else in this life. I, I figured at this time this should be the happiest time of my life, and even the, some of the hardest things in my life should have been in this time, but I am so burnt out on life. I just, I, it, it, it's not happening for me. And so she hung herself and she killed herself. I think she was 32. And, and, and you look at that and you go, what happened? What happened? Who are you measuring yourself against? Who are you trying to emulate? Who are you trying to imitate? Which takes us to the next point. We have two manners of influence. Those who we are influenced by and those whom we influence. Who are watching? Who, who's watching your life? Who's watching your life? Who are you influencing by your speech, by your belief, or by your actions? You might be a Christian. Be careful. You get on, you know, Christian, you walk, you have a nice strong walk, but then you get on Facebook and maybe you say some things that are pretty off color. You start hammering people that you would never say things like that to their face. Is that becoming of a Christian? Who are you emulating? Who is it that you're in, being influenced by? Well, everybody else on there, they're all doing it. Stop looking at everybody else. It's not about everybody else, right? Who are we to be live, living by? That's what Paul's trying to get to. This is trying to take Paul's word and trying to appropriate it to our day and modern day of living. We are influenced by so many things in our society. We are influenced by so many things in our life where Paul, if we just get back to the basics and we understand, this is who I used to be. Let's get back to the basis. I used to be lost without Christ. I am found. I am saved. I am secured. I am a child of God's. And my life is no longer about me anymore. Paul says, now I'm begging you have a walk worthy of what you have today. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. And if you have a hard time understanding what does this look like, then look to Jesus and imitate him. Does that make sense? Gang, it's just a call to you. It's a call to me. The lines are getting more blurred by the day on what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. It came to my attention from Kevin, Pastor Kevin, last week, that I said something in the service that he says, I don't think you meant that. And, and, and so I, I share it with you here. I had said something along the lines of, of those that are calling for, you know, abortions up to, up to nine months, where from, if this is the, Womb, the opening of the womb, the baby's inside, the baby is outside, that this baby is a fetus, this is a baby, let's, we can kill the baby here, but this is murder. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. I don't understand how anybody understands that to be that. But, influence has overtaken I think, logic. Influence. I am... I, it's, it's been happening. I don't identify myself as a man anymore. I identify myself as a woman. And where do we end? I'm not a man. I am a woman. No, your DNA says you're a man. I'm a woman. Okay, well, then I identify myself as a 65-year-old person. Give me my retirement. Give me my Social Security. I mean, where does it end? Logic is going out the way. The, the, the lines are so skewed and so blurred that we don't, we're afraid to say anything anymore. Yeah, we, we, you, you never want to use, I don't even know what to call a non-white person anymore. I don't know what to say. If I say, 
hey, it was my, my, you know, I, I've got this guy, you know, or, or they go, hey, uh, hey, what nationality is that guy? Oh, I, I think he's, he, he might be Mexican. <gasps> That's racist! Oh, you're horrible! Wait a minute. No, I, I didn't mean that. I really didn't mean it. I mean, he's my friend. I love him. <laughs> you know, I, Reggie, we all, a lot of us know Reg. You can't miss him. Six eight, six nine. He's lost a lot of weight since he was playing ball. But the guy was probably pushing three forty when he was playing ball. He was an all American lineman at the Florida in Florida, Florida Gators. If someone were to say, you know, you know, hey, anything about Reg, and I, I say, hey, Reg is black. <gasps> That's racist. Wait a minute. No, it's not. He's he's black. I'm white. I love this guy. This guy one of my best friends in my life. He doesn't take offense at that. I don't take offense at that. I'm not being racist. At what point are we going to stop being... What, what, hey, I'm an American. You're being nationalist! Stop it! <laughs> you know, come on! We don't... We're, we're getting to a point where I, I see Satan's talons getting deeper and deeper and deeper to where we are going to be afraid to open our mouth. And mind you, all of these peripheral things are simply diversions to keep you from opening your mouth about Christ. That's it. Jesus has called you and me to go. The Great Commission, go into the world to all nations, tongues and kindred. That's racist! (laughs) No, it's not. That's what Jesus said to do. Go into all nations, tongues and kindreds and share the gospel. Tell them good news. They don't have to go to hell. They have a savior that, they have a God that loves them so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Make disciples of all nations, tongues and men. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. That's our call. That's your call. That's my call. That's our call as a Christians. Get out there in the world and let's live for, for Christ. That's what he's called us to do. Before I forget, I forgot to, to, to apologize for what I said last week. about. I kind of got off into that whole thing about what I talked about, the, 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 the legislation that allows the, the babies to be killed and what have you. I, I use the term, Lord, take them out. Take them out. That are calling for deaths of infants. Take them out. I apologize if that offended anybody. I, I look at Paul and I see that Paul did something very similar to what I did. Am I excusing myself? Well, I'm going to just explain myself. If you think so poorly of a human life that you're willing to just sacrifice, kill, 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 it might be better for you to be taken out. Not that anybody does it. I ask the Lord, Lord, if it's you, take them out. Paul said to this, there were people that were Jews that were saying you have to be circumcised in order to really be approved before God. As a Christian, you're still you're a Christian, but you have to be circumcised or you're not going to be. Paul says, I wish that they would cut themselves off. What Paul says, I wish they'd castrate themselves. Is that a loving thing to say? I don't know how loving it is, but I can see the righteous anger in the midst of it. And again, what did we read last week? Be angry, verse 26, and do not sin. If that is sinful, what I said last week, I apologize and I'm taking it to the Lord and I'm asking God to to confront me on it. He hasn't confronted me on it yet. So I, I apologize if I've offended anybody in that, but I would hope that they'd get saved. That probably would have been a better way of saying it. God saved their souls so that they can see the error of their ways. That would be a better way of saying it much better way of saying it. So I apologize for that. But again, it goes back down to, and I finish with this, who are you being influenced by? If you're not being influenced by Christ, you still have your eyes on the wrong person. You still have your eyes in the wrong place. 
Let's look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. That's what we are to be doing. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. Verse 1 is saying, hey, we, we are surrounded by so many guys and gals that have gone on before us. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us and besets us. And then verse 2, and says, and let's look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, his race that he ran is what it's saying. What was the joy that was set before him? It was you and it was me and was all that would come to him. It was those that who wouldn't even come to him. He loved them. He paid for their sin. He paid for them. Now, balls in their court. Do they accept his gift? If they reject it, there's nothing more that Christ can do. There's nothing more God can do. But for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured the sacrifice. He endured the shame. He despised the shame. I don't care about the shame. I'm doing it for a purpose. And what was the reward? He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. For you and me, as we look unto Jesus, we have a perfect example. A perfect example whom we should mimetes, right? We should mimic. We should imitate. That's what Paul says. Therefore, be followers, be imitators of God. Let's go out and do that. Amen? Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I, I pray that I don't come off as being harsh in my my words. I, I don't mean to be angry. I'm not angry. I, I really, if, if my words come out sounding angry, I don't, I'm not angry. I'm passionate. Lord, I, I pray that in this day and age where the lines have become so skewed and people are saying that things are good and when they're not. People saying things are bad when, when they're not. God, help me not to become so passionate that anybody that would be willing to listen to this voice would be turned off because they would think I was angry. I'm not angry, I'm passionate. I so desperately want the world to open their eyes and see you. See you, how I've seen you. I love you, God. I I see what you have saved me from. I see what my life used to be. And I see this world is minimizing that and and disregarding that and putting that down that I'm afraid that the world is beginning to to look so poorly upon anybody that has a relationship with you and and Satan is captivating minds and for that Lord that bothers me and I don't want to see people captive to an enemy that means nothing more than to destroy. Jesus, you said, he came not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then you followed it up by saying, but I, Jesus, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. God, I pray that these words would be heard in the spirit in which they were given. Lord, I just want to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters to imitate you. I pray that my life would be like Paul's, where as I'm imitating you, I can confidently say, hey, you want to know how to follow after Christ? Do what I'm doing, because my life is no longer about me. It's about Christ. And what I'm doing right now and the decisions that I make are not based on me, but they're based on Jesus. God, May we have a walk like that, all of us, worthy of the calling with which we were called. God, forgive us in how we have fallen short in many areas. God, pick us back up. Take us out of this place with a newfound vigor, with a newfound passion. 
a newfound urgency to reach the world around us for you and for your purposes. God, that you would set people free. May this snowball across our country, across this nation, across this world. God, may you bring revival once again to our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don. 